0: The following program is sponsored by The National Prayer Chapel
1: Begone unbelief My Savior is near And for my relief Will surely appear My prayer let me wrestle and he will perform With Christ in the vessels A smile at the storm The dark be my way Since he is my guide tis mine to obey And his to provide The cisterns be broken And creatures all fail surely prevail His love in See me through Oh, why should I complain Of want or distress Temptation
0: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not here to convert you to Jesus. That may surprise you. I'm here to call you to be a disciple of Jesus. There's a big difference between a convert who will agree and a disciple who will follow. This message that I bring day by day to you is a message calling you first to repentance to turn away from your darkness and instead to come to Jesus and stand in the light and follow him and be a disciple of his. The writer of the book, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan in back in 1678, 1668, he was imprisoned 11 years for preaching the gospel. He was not a trained pastor. He was not recognized by the church. He was a tinker. He repaired pots and pans. He went door to door. It was dirty, hard work. And then he also preached. He preached the gospel of Jesus to everyone who would listen. They arrested him. They put him in prison, and they said, You have to stop this preaching. He couldn't stop. He had a window up high in his cell. No glass on it. It was cold in there in the winter hot in there in the summer. Crowds would gather down below and listen to him preach to that open window. He couldn't see anything but some sky, but they could hear him. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was not a convert of convenience to get what he could get. He was there to give the gospel And in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he spoke about a man in a dream that he saw he was dressed in rags. And this man had a book in his hand and a heavy burden on his back. And he he looked as he saw him open this, this book and begin to read. And as he read this book, he began to weep. He began to tremble saying with a loud voice, What shall I do? Well, what would prompt a man to do that? He began to see the reality of his spiritual condition before God. He began to see the shallowness and the cheapness. He began to see the the city for what it really was, a place of death, of destruction, of burning. Everyone thought he was losing his mind. They called him a radical. They tried to calm him down. His family tried to calm him down. The more they tried to calm him down, the more he read the book and the more concerned he became. And he finally asked the question, what shall I do to be saved? And the answer was not to be converted to Christ, to say a little sinner's prayer, to walk down the aisle smiling. No, the answer was, do you see that small gate over on Far Hill? Well, no. Will you see the light up there, the mountain. Yes. Well, go there, and you'll find a gate. Enter into that gate, and you'll be told what you must do. Now, Jesus spoke of that gate. Matthew, the 7th chapter, verse 13. You must enter in through the narrow gate. The narrow gate. The pinching gate. Why? Because it meant you could not take your worldly things, attitudes, and beliefs in through that gate. You had to recognize that you were a sinner. You had to recognize that you were going to hell. Wide is the gate and broad is the way leading into destruction and many are the ones entering through it. How narrow is the gate and restricted is the way that leads to life. And this is the terrifying part. Only a few are finding it. So the Bible clearly tells us Jesus told us that only a few people were going to make the decision to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be in the place of Jesus' presence regardless of what it costs me. The the great desire of my heart is to be in the place of Jesus' presence, to be with him to be his disciple, to follow him with all of my mind, strength, my love, everything I have, to follow after Jesus. Many of you listening to this broadcast have said you're a convert to Jesus. You believe in him, and yet you're not a disciple. What do I mean? You don't follow him. You bring Jesus into an already full life. In Jesus, the full life has to go out, and Jesus has to be everything to be given utterly to him. You see, Jesus is the only way a man or woman can be saved. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. Now, all roads lead to the same place. The Buddhist road, the Hindu road. I have a neighbor that I'm becoming acquainted with. He walks every day the street in front of my house. I often am walking with him, talking with him, and slowly we're beginning to look at his Hindu philosophy. Now, the road of the Hindu will take him to the same place the road of the Christian will take. The road of the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Shinto, all of the roads lead to the same place and that place is the judgment seat of Jesus Christ we will all stand before the judgment bar of Jesus but not all of us will have the same verdict read over our lives Jesus is the only way and those who follow another path will in the end find themselves cast into utter darkness I want to share with you a few texts in Scripture that basically say what I just shared with you. In John, the sixth chapter, let me turn to it. John, the sixth chapter, Jesus is speaking, verse 48 I am the bread of the life. I am the bread, he says. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, and they died. This is the bread coming down out of the heaven that anyone may eat of it and may not die spiritually. I, I am the living bread. Now let's be clear. This phrase, I, I am, is a declaration that he is the mighty God of heaven who created the heavens and the earth. He is the king. And he's saying, I, I am the living bread coming down out of the heaven. If anyone may eat of this bread, he will live eternally. And yet the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give in behalf of the life of the world. He was referring here to the soon coming crucifixion. Then Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you may eat the flesh of the Son of Man and may drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is truly food and my blood is truly drink. The one eating my flesh and drinking my blood remains in union with me and I in union with him. Now, turn quickly in this same chapter, chapter 6. Does this cause you to fall away? Verse 62. What then, if you may observe the Son of Man going up where he was before? The Spirit is the one making alive. The flesh does not profit anything. The Rama. That is the breathed word that I speak to you. These words are spirit and they are life. But there are certain ones among you who are not believing. Now, what he's saying is, I'm speaking to you about spirit things, not material things. He's not saying, be a cannibal and eat my body. He's saying, look, in the spirit realm... You must consume my flesh and my blood. You must take me in. Well, let's talk about that a moment. You are a spirit person. Your spirit tells you, tells your body what to do. It tells your body to lift your hand up and take that thing off the shelf. Your spirit is in charge of you. Your spirit directs your actions. And Jesus now wants to speak directly to your spirit, which is the source of all of the actions of your life. And he's saying to you, Look, you need to take me in, because I am life. Now the man who takes in to his spirit the things of darkness Let's be specific. The things of this world are of darkness, and they will all burn in the great day of judgment. You will not be able to take your money with you. Some of you say, well, what if I don't believe that Jesus is the way? Okay. See, it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter what you say you believe the truth stands outside of you and not under your control so if you say i don't have time to be in the presence of jesus i don't have i don't have an interest in eating his flesh and drinking his blood in the spirit i don't have an interest in that i want to sit and watch the ball game i want to do this or do that i'm going to go make money now and the lust of your heart is for the things of this world and the entertainment of this world what'd you do for your new year's eve celebration did you fill yourself with alcohol and worldliness and darkness I was invited to a New Year's Eve party. And I went. And I was shocked by what I saw and what I heard. Because many of the people that I spoke with said, yes, they had been converted to Jesus. Their parents were Pentecostals, or they were Baptist, or they were Catholic, or they were whatever. Are you going to church now? No. We've kind of dropped off. Why? Well, the answer is all of the things of this life that demand time and attention. Feasting on the things of this world and this earth and ignoring the fact that they're naked, that they're dressed in rags, that they have a heavy burden on their back. Please hear me. Some of you are carrying such a heavy burden on your back that it's all you can do to make it through one day after another. You're exhausted. You're tired of the battle. You're carrying a heavy burden of sin on your back. You've gone after the world, the flesh, and the devil. You've gone after the world's music. You've gone after the world's conversation. I sat and listened at this New Year's Eve party to some of the people singing at the top of their voice worldly wicked songs. They knew all the words. I'd never heard these songs before. I was glad I went, because I got to experience firsthand conversations with many who are lost. And yet... There's a longing in their heart and in their face. In their their conversation, There's there's a longing for something more. But they're consumed by the spirit of this world. See, it's not enough to be converted. You have to become a disciple. Only disciples of Jesus will enter the kingdom of God, and they enter via Jesus Christ. So let me share another scripture with you. John. John the 10th chapter. I'll turn to it quickly. John the 10th chapter. Let me read this for you. Then Jesus said to them, I am the door. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone may enter through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except that he may steal, may kill, and may destroy. I came that you may have life and may have it abundantly." So Jesus is plainly saying, look, if you want to enter into my kingdom, you have to come in through me. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Now he has another passage of scripture. John 14. I'm looking at several of these with you today. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He does not say, I am one way. No, he says, I am the way, the path. I am the road to heaven. If you are not on this road to heaven, if you are simply converted to Jesus, said a little sinner's prayer, and now you've wandered away, You've never become serious about following Jesus. It's time. He is the only way. He is the truth, and he is the life. There is no life outside of Jesus. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Does everyone die? Yes, 100% mortality rate. Everyone will finally die. The ones who will move on into eternity with Jesus are disciples, not converts. Yes, it's necessary to make that decision that we will repent of our sins. It's necessary to make the decision that I will give my life into the hand of Jesus. At that point, I enter through the narrow gate. I enter into the school of the Holy Spirit. And he begins that process of taking me on the journey all the way through the valley of the shadow of death, the place of humiliation. He takes me all the way through to the Jordan River where I must pass through and leave this life to be welcomed into the other side, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, there's another passage of Scripture in John the 14th chapter. John the 14th chapter. He says, If anyone may love me, he will keep my word. That is, he's taken... God's word into his heart. And he's now a disciple. He says, my father will love him and we will come to him and make a dwelling place with him. So, if we enter through that gate, if we see that he is the way, the truth and the life, then we truly begin to enter into Jesus Christ as a disciple. Not as a convert. Now in Acts, in Acts the fourth chapter, the apostle Peter is preaching. It's after the healing of the lame man. Verse 16, And by faith in his name this man whom you see and know was made strong by his name, that is the name of Jesus. And faith through him gave to him the complete soundness before all of you. And now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as you did also your rulers. But those things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all his prophets that his Christ was to suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, they crucified the God of heaven. Consequently, you must repent and must turn around for your sins to be wiped away so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's be clear. There's no other name. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no other name. Verse 12 of chapter 4, And there is no salvation by any other, because there is no other name under of a different kind, having been given among men by which we must be saved. Rescued, pulled out of destruction. Bunyan was right. This man was living in the city of destruction. It could have been Washington, D.C. Filling his heart and his mind with everything of this world and this flesh. We can't walk that way. Now, there's one more passage I'm going to share with you. And then I'm going to go to a part of the Argentine story, the Argentine revival. Verse 23 of First Peter, the second chapter, who being verbally abused, he was not answering back while suffering. He was not threatening but he was handing himself over to the one's judging. He handed himself over to the one judging righteously, that is, his Father, who himself bore up our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died to the sins, may live in the sphere of righteousness. It is necessary, then, that we die to our sins, that they be forgiven, they be removed from us, and live in the sphere of righteousness by the wound of whom you are restored, for you used to be as sheep being led astray, but now you were returned by the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Have you been returned to the overseer of your soul? I believe the church is where disciples are made. We need to be in a place where his presence dwells. We need to be in a place where we can be held accountable, where we can rest safely in Jesus as he disciples us in this school of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to read for you a portion of The Flaming Flame by Dr. R. Edward Miller The Argentine Revival You've got to help me. "'I'm at the end of the road and can't go on any longer,' exclaimed the desperate young man the minute he pushed his way through the door of our Mardal Plata home, his home and marriage tottering on the abyss of disintegration, mastered by alcohol, engulfed by debts, unable to keep a job, filled with frustration and bitterness and rebellion and hatred. The backslidden son of a backslidden pastor,' had finally come to the utter end of himself. I'm just hearing today in the spirit that there are some of you listening who are at the end or are coming close to the end of yourself. Listen, you will hear a word of God. As a child, this young man, wince had been reared by his mother in abject poverty on a small farm in Paraguay's primitive Indian land. Shoeless, clothed in rags for months, existing on a meager diet of bread and a a root and wild fruit, he shared the humble, hot home with his mother, brothers, and sister. Life had enclosed him in this struggle for existence The day sin robbed the family of the father's protecting presence and support. Blaming God for this unjust treatment, or so Wentz considered it, the youth turned away from him. Searing flames of resentment and self-pity began to burn in his heart. He bitterly determined to master the circumstances which bound him to this miserable existence in the coming years. Few were the opportunities for advancement in Paraguay. So, after his marriage to a lovely Christian girl, he moved to Argentina to continue attending school. At the same time, he worked long hours to support his family. By many months of determined and sacrificial study, he prepared himself to qualify for the better positions. But because of his pride, because of his bitterness his lofty despising of the lowly place and hatred of others, even his diligent work and scholastic attainment were not assets. Bitter against the world, bitter against God himself, high-minded and lofty, victimized by frequent demonic rages and frustrations, he tried to drown it all in alcohol. AS INNER AND OUTER PRESSURES INCREASED. DURING THESE TURBULENT YEARS, WHEN LIFE WITH HIM WAS NIGH IMPOSSIBLE, HIS FAITHFUL WIFE STOOD TOLERANTLY AND FAITHFULLY BY HIS SIDE, CARING FOR THEIR HOME AND TWO BEAUTIFUL CHILDREN, STRUGGLING TO MAKE ENDS MEET. Losing one job after another, suffering continual financial reverses, he moved from town to town, dragging his family along, always ending up in debt and drinking heavily. As a converted Christian, he'd once attempted to pastor a church. But when the parishioners discovered his harsh temperament and drinking habits, He lost their respect in the pastorate as well. Having lost all jobs, having lost all friends, lost his money and even his self-respect, he was finally on the verge of losing the ones dearest to him, his wife and his children. After fruitless hoping, praying and waiting, his wife had had reached the end of her endurance. Although Wentz had tried everything, nothing had worked. Prayer, religion, religious services, making of vows, resolutions to reform, all had been in vain. He had wept and suffered condemnation. Still things only became worse. Was there no answer? Was there no solution? Homeless? Desperate? Contemplating suicide, as the only way out, he suddenly remembered Penal. Perhaps in Pinal, he could find an answer. That night he hitchhiked to Pinal in Mar del Plata. Unbeknown to him, was the, this was the eve of a scheduled prayer conference. He arrived just as it was beginning. As Wentz talked with me and poured out his many problems... God opened his eyes to see for the first time the only true solution, the straight and narrow gateway of humbling himself and praying the simple prayer of the publican, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As the result, he stood to his feet in one of the chapel services and humbled himself before the believers assembled there Between sobs he explained how for years, although a professing Christian he had walked far from God, driven by a spirit of martyrdom and self-pity, he had become bitter against God himself, holding him responsible for the tragedy of his early life. Blaming him, he said, I began to drink to forget my troubles, but it only increased them. I found neither peace nor joy, only hopelessness and now I just can't go on any longer. I must find God. As he fell to his knees on the floor sobbing, the ministers gathered around him to pray. The congregation, now moved by this desperation, also began to pray joining their prayers to those of the one who for years had interceded at the right hand of the Father for this one. In finding repentance, the prodigal found God, an encounter which resulted in a right-about face, a going in the opposite direction contrite and broken by the realization of the folly of his former ways, the prodigal, who for years had fled the one who loved him, returned home to God, and in returning, he found rest for his soul. Immediately afterwards, considering that God's work had been completed, he left for another town to stand on his own but very soon he discovered that he needed many months more under Penal's covering and protection for the work of transformation to be completed. His repentance of heart was immediate, but the restoration of his life, the changing of old habits, the establishing of his feet firmly on God's path, the highway of holiness took many months. As God worked patiently to reform his life, he found refuge and shelter in Pinal. Today, some years later, Wentz, with his lovely wife and children, is doing the work of a pastor evangelist in a district province. His life an irrefutable witness to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to restore, to revive, even the one for whom years had been lived enslaved in sin's shameful and shabby serfdom. Through his anointed ministry, many are finding relief and deliverance. From the heart once filled with self-pity, despising, bitterness and pride, there began to emanate another aura, the fragrance of the lovely, lowly, loving Nazarene, at Pinal, he had met the Almighty face to face and his soul was liberated. But why had he come to Pinal, in Mardel Plana? What was Penal? Conceived in the heart of God, built according to the pattern he gave, established upon the principles and precepts he ordained, constructed with materials he provided in answer to importunate prayer. This Bible Institute is a fulfillment of the promises of God himself. In Penal, a place chosen by God to be a dwelling place of his presence, for Penal means the face of the Almighty. The Lord has become to many a sanctuary, a hiding place, a cover from the storm and rain, a rock, a strength to the poor and the needy in distress, a refuge from life's storms. Penal, where I met the Almighty face to face, my soul was liberated. Genesis 32.30 In a living memorial to the truth that what God has promised he is able to perform. The imperative need for qualified national workers to shepherd the pastorless flocks of newborn lambs in revival awakened in Argentina impelled me to further prayer and fasting to find an answer from God. Everywhere it had been the same, in the awakening in Buenos Aires, in Nicochia, Liberia, Chaco. The ease of winning new converts was in tragic contrast to the dire scarcity of workers qualified to establish these new little ones in God. An evangelistic campaign in any town would produce almost overnight a new congregation. But where were the pastors adequately prepared to shepherd them? I would change that. I would say, where are the ministers? Mature, knowing the word of God. Where are they? If the Lord broke out in revival today, we would be faced with the same terrible condition. We would be faced with Thousands of people who wanted to follow Jesus, who had been converted, but who had not yet become disciples. But where are the disciples today to train these new believers? Where are the disciples? Where are they gathered? Where have they left their pride and their bitterness and their anger? Where have they left all of the worldliness and become followers of Jesus Christ? He writes, the evangelistic effort in the town of Liberia taught us a costly lesson. After battling against Satan's fortress to make a significant cleavage in the wall bulwark, after forming a congregation of folk who had never before heard the gospel, we faced defeat. For there was not one pastor to pastor these new believers, and we had to abandon them. To evangelize and awaken the unconverted to the light of the light of life in Christ Jesus and then to abandon them to languish alone in the desert, to meet Satan's fiery temptations and life's storms alone was not the answer. God must have a solution, a better way. Well, he does have a better way, and it's called the church. And I and a few other men and women are absolutely committed to build in the name of Jesus a church, not on the architecture of the modern entertainment and shallowness, not on the architecture of men who want to be popular and loved, but instead on the architecture given in the book of Acts where we come together and we pray and we weep and we study the word of God and we love one another, we disciple one another in preparation for the work of discipling that is going to have to go on as God moves in revival power in Washington, D.C., I spoke with a man, an old man, many, many years ago. He'd been a part of the Welsh Revival. He said, the revival did not prosper. It was slowly eaten away, and then it was almost totally gone. And if you go to Wales today, the revival's gone. And I said, brother, why did that happen? He said, because there was no church that had disciples of Jesus, they were all converts. But they had never deeply moved into the school of the Holy Spirit. They had only added Jesus to their already wonderful life, their religious life, their social life, their work life but it was their life. And this old man with tears said to me, You want revival? Then build disciples. Men and women who can teach the new converts, men and women who know how to care for another person, who will lay their life down and sacrifice for another person. That's where I stand today. The National Prayer Chapel went through some real upheavals, through some immaturity on my part, through some very poor decisions on my part. Until now, we have a remnant, and I have all of you who I consider a congregation. And now it's time to rebuild. Now it's time for a church to be a safe place for men, women, and children. It's time for a church to not follow the popular ways of the world. For a church not to be simply a place where people... Attend. You see, the church is not a building. The church is a people. And in that church, there must be a constant maturing and growing in discipleship so that those who are in the church can disciple other believers who are new converts. And the message of the gospel has to go out with mighty power. So that, can I put it very simply? Some of you have given up. You just go through the religious rituals. You know you're not right with Jesus. You have prayed and you've wept, but some of you haven't even done that. And you're wondering, Where do we go? I invite you to consider coming to the prayer chapel because there I know you will meet Jesus. And you will meet other mature adults. You will meet others who are serious about the walk with Jesus and who are proving it by the way they live. They have entered the narrow gate They have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. They have walked through the valley of humiliation. They have been nurtured and taught by the Holy Spirit. Do you need that kind of environment? This story I've read today of Wentz It's so common, except that most don't go into the depths of wickedness as he did. Instead, they just dwell on the surface and never follow Jesus truly. I'm inviting you to be serious about Jesus and to make a decision that you will submit yourself to the school of the Holy Spirit and ask him to begin to disciple you after Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who was sent to be our helper, to teach us, to guide us. But you need other people as well. For many years I used to say, I'm about Jesus. And while that's true, I am also very much about his people. I need Jesus and I need his people and I need accountability and I need love and nurturance and support. I need care. I know we all need that. We all need that. We need each other. We need our families. We need other men and women who are serious about Jesus. What do you need to get on this path of discipleship? If you're not a convert, then please come quickly and make a decision to follow Jesus. But that's not enough. You've got to then also move forward, be a part of the school of the Holy Spirit, and be taught by the Holy Spirit how to walk with Jesus. to be filled with his Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost. So what is it that you need and what will it take for you to decide today that you finally are ready to get serious with Jesus and be in the place of his presence? I can tell you now his presence is at the National Prayer Chapel. You may be at a place where his presence is also very much clear. And if that place is anointed by the Holy Spirit and you are being discipled and you are growing in Jesus, stay right there. If you're being encouraged to read the scriptures, stay right there. But if you're not and you need that, his presence is is at the National Prayer Chapel, and he'll meet you there. Now, I encourage you, in just the last minute we have before the close of the broadcast, I am reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation in one month, the month of January. I encourage you to join me in the reading of the Word. That is a powerful way to enter into the school of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're out of time. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also look forward to hearing from many of you. On the webpage, you can donate by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. We're in the process of trying to simplify that process, but thank you for doing that. As I hear from you, my heart is encouraged. I need you, and you need me. We need the Holy Spirit. So this has been Pilgrim's Progress. I love you, dear brother, dear sister. Share this message with someone else. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Oh um.